Welcome back to Mages and Murder Dads. Uh, this is a little bit of a weird one. Oh, I'm Cameron, by the way. I'm Danny. This is weird. It's weird enough that I had to ask you what's going on, and you haven't even explained it. You're just gonna you're gonna off the cuff here. I'm gonna do it live. <laughs> uh, the uh, yeah. So okay. So here's the deal. What you're about to listen to is episode, or what you're listening to right now, I guess, is episode seventy four of mages and murder dads now um way back i'm gonna see i'm gonna look here and see when i when we did it when did we do this um let me check the properties of my file uh back in january so this is like six months ago seven mm-hmm. almost seven months ago back in january we recorded uh the last episode of disco elysium uh of our of our playthrough and, and this was a um Kind of a what do you call it? Like a, a, a final thoughts. Yeah, episode. it was our no. We're done with the game. What's our in sum total? You know, experience mm-hmm. vibe. And then because, but we knew that the final cut was going to come out back in January. We knew it was going to come out, but it was not out yet. And so we decided, hey, let's. Uh, what we'll do here is we'll record our kind of kind of thoughts, and then sometime between when the final cut comes out and when the season is done, we will do. We'll, we'll just independently play the game again, beep bop bop, you know, zip through it, and then we'll compare the final cut to the experience that we had. And we'll do a whole other episode, and that would be episode seventy five, and then that would kind of, um, I don't know, make it make it all come together. Mm-hmm. We have both played. I, I didn't play through all of the final cut. I played played uh, about an hour and a half, two hours, and um, and you suggested this, but uh, there's not enough different <laughs> in the final cut to warrant a full episode. Yeah, we don't have an hours of stuff to talk about. So, uh, so let's let's talk about the what? Oh, okay. Well, so you're listening to this, so obviously we have something to say. <laughs> So what we're going to do here is we're going to talk for about 20 minutes or so, uh, a little more, a little less, somewhere in that realm. We're going to talk for about 20 minutes uh, about Final Cut stuff, and then I will seamlessly transition us into the original episode (laughs) 10, episode 74, um, and you can hear our whole recap episode that we did back in January. So that's yeah. basically the thing. So this is like a little bit of a pre-roll. And when you hear us promising to do a Final Cut episode in the proper episode 74 we did. You've already experienced it. You, you have. <laughs> the magic of time travel. Um, so so you get you get both. Um, and so all the times that you hear us saying things like, maybe that'll change in the Final Cut. Uh, no, it, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, burying, not to bury the lead here. But yeah, so biggest difference with final cut voice acting right or wrong here yeah i would say th- kind of three big differences one of which didn't really matter th- that much to me but i can imagine it would so um number one voice acting number two what are what what have been called political vision quests which is really funny i believe in the our recap episode we basically said there's no way they'll call them that in the final release they have to call them something <laughs> other than vision quests because mm. that's weird and that feels weird um, and that's got a lot of kind of racialized baggage behind it. Nope, they called it Vision Quest. Wait, is it, it is does, is it called Vision Quest in the game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what their official language is. I don't oh. think it ever shows up anywhere, but the Vision Quests are like the way they were sold on Steam and oh, the way that they're talked uh, about in, in the promotional language. materials, not in the not in the in game, but 
Yeah, but there's no reference to them as a group of stuff in the game period. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, they're not labeled that in the game, but that is the official terminology. Um, so that, and then uh, I think there's fast travel, right? I have no idea. Is there fast travel? I don't. Well, they as I was walking around in the new stuff, it kept giving me like tr- new travel location or new location. Oh, let me let me. So, but it didn't come up, so I didn't look. Let me say Final Cut Disco Elysium. Uh, fast travel. Let's see if it exists. Um, let's see. Everyone's confused about how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can. Okay, but everyone's... I, it's so confusing, I did not even catch that. Yeah, I, I just saw it as I was walking around in the final cut. It would say, like, you found this place, you found this place, you found this place. But I didn't try to play with it or anything. That actually would be pretty nice. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of this, like, backwards and forwards. And I don't know one way or the other which one is better uh because on one hand yes on the other hand i feel like walking around this little zone is like kind of a big chunk of the game sure and but but i kind of once you do it two or three times what else are you gonna get yeah i don't think that there is unless there are more instances than i can think of of like stuff that happens between the boardwalk and the whirling and rags yeah there's really You, you do that twice you've seen it and you yep. end up having to do that more than a couple times. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, the major two things are these political quests and the voice acting. Um, I, so, I played it for, like I said, about an hour and a half, two hours, somewhere in the zone there. And uh, what did you think about the... I think you played about the same amount, right? I played, played a little more bit more. I, I, like, kind of tr- did some speedrun strats and really got weird and experimental and was disregarding a lot of the narrative that i've already seen because i've played it two full times now Mm -hmm. um i like talk to evart and joyce before even looking at the corpse um (laughs) (laughs) it's like you know i i I really got weird um i think that the same the same issue is i exhausted virtually every side quest um on the first day so i don't (laughs) know what is waiting for me on the second day, but I didn't even make it to day two. I just did all of that stuff. And then I kind of, and I I want to add one thing. And then I knew that I wanted to angle for one of the political quests, Mm -hmm. but um, the way I built my character made it very difficult to meet the uh, light bending guy, the mega rich light bending guy, which is necessary. I think for the ultra liberal political vision quest. So they, uh, something interesting that I figured out, kind of Googling around. So what happened, I did both. Well, let's talk about voice acting first. Sure. Uh, what do you think about it? Good, bad? It's neutral? fine. I don't, I don't think that it uh, took anything away from my play experience. Um, if it were my first playthrough, I might have listened to it more like more intently but Mm -hmm. you know i I think at the point where you've played it a couple times uh hearing it doesn't make that big of a difference i think they've got a fully like kind of professional voice acting Mm -hmm. roster at this point Um, yeah a lot of volunteers before well i don't know if they're a volunteer i think everyone got paid but uh actually that's not my understanding actually okay Everyone just volunteered and did it. Yeah, it's interesting. So we talked a little bit about how uh, some kind of political podcasters are kind of dotted throughout that. And I think they're all gone in this final version. That's my understanding, too. Uh, Um, So that's interesting. The the voice acting seemed fine. There were a couple of real 
tonal shifts in a in a few characters. The one that mm. I got was uh, C Ling, mm-hmm. who had uh, more of, and this was I think this was discussed in either our Discord or the comments about my evaluation of an accent as New York <laughs> versus Brooklyn versus a New Jersey accent. I don't sure. know what the official call was, but it sounded like a new that ju- I guess, granular, but, yeah. but yeah, sure. Um, but it is now, it is no longer that accent. It is very much they are aiming for, oh, this is like a, this is a, maybe a Southeast Asian accent or something mm. like that. Um, okay. So like a couple of differences, like uh, that's really doing different world building, but otherwise mm-hmm. uh, nothing else that, affects the way i experience the game what about you well uh i don't like it i just don't like it i don't like you don't like full voice acting in games period is my basically yeah that's basically the the case i i just read so much more quickly and i feel like voice acting uh really drags me down because i I feel this like double emotion all the time on one hand i want to hear the line reading Right, because I think that actually does matter. The way that because the 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 actor's choice here has been vetted by a voice acting director and then the design team, or at least some people who are in charge have thumbs up. Right, mm-hmm. so the way the line is read in the final performance is a verified performance. So that so the way that, for example, uh, you could read irony or you could read sarcasm into just text by itself. You get this additional kind of layer of um, uh, content, essentially, you know, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word, of of intent uh, with how the line is supposed to be taken and how it's in conversation with other lines. Um, so, so I'm in this tension with like this is part of what's happening and this is part of the game and the way we need to think about the game and the way that it's kind of doing the things that it does. On the other hand, I, I'm waiting because I read the text so much faster than I, than I listen to the thing. So mm. this is why I don't like audiobooks as well. This is the, I have a whole problem with, with this kind of thing. It's, it seems like for a full voice acting game to work for you, it can't be this this uh, mode where a third of the screen is a text box. It needs to be like, okay, it's written, but only as captions. And otherwise it is just like voice acted. And there might be like a mo-capped person or, you know, an animated person. there, like giving a line, but you're only given one line of text at a time. So you can't read ahead. Yeah. I do way better that way Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Like absolutely do way better that way. So I, there's just this kind of, tension there and that's all on me i you know i don't blame the game for that i certainly think that if you're playing this on like a a platform if if you haven't spent half of your life sitting there and looking at you know text on the screen and these kinds of rpgs i think the voice acting is really convenient and awesome i imagine if i were playing this for the first time and like sitting in my living room and playing on a console that the voice acting would be awesome because um you know it just kind of the mode of delivery there would matter a lot more than for me sitting down playing a, an RPG and like hammering through the dialogue because there's a lot here and, and I can read it really quickly. So mm-hmm. anyway, I don't think that's anyone's fault. I think it's all on me. I think that if it's a benefit for you and you like it, then good. And, and all, as always, um, I could just turn it off. You know, that's, it's on me um, if I were playing the game normally and mm-hmm. not to talk about it. Is that an uh, option? Yeah, I believe so. I believe okay. it's an option. So well, so it. neutral, I think is our mm-hmm. estimate. Here. Yeah, I don't. I I I don't think one way or the other. This is more just like 
do we like it as opposed to is it good or bad? I think mm-hmm. it's undeniably good. Sure. You know, in the broad sense. Um, but g- giving people more options is always a good idea. Mm-hmm. I, I will say I don't like the way that I, I think the narrator does a pretty good job. Like this kind of new narrating actor who reads mm-hmm. all the narratorial lines. I actually don't like the way that uh, they perform the skills talking to one another though Mm -hmm. because i think half of the skills sound like huge assholes um it's like this sarcastic kind of like i don't know i don't like the performance of the skills at all and maybe i would like it more if i played through the whole game and i got a better feel for it but for the most part um it what I liked about the skills is just text is that I could look at the way that the skills, how they addressed other um, things in the world and like mm-hmm. what they chose to focus on. And that's how I understood what the skill was like interested in or its personality, I guess. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, empathy is about this kind of connective potential and it's because it kept going back to connective potential that I was like, okay, that's what empathy is doing or, or, um, uh, endurance kind of becomes the voice of fascism a little bit. And, you know, endurance stands in and begins talking that way. Or Inland Empire is kind of, um, all, you know, bypassing into the world and is always looking behind things. And it's it's because it keeps talking about the, the kind of wheels behind the world that we understand how it works. They all get their own kind of vocal tones now, though. And is it a different voice actor for like groups no. of them? It's I don't th- think so. Mm. They all sounded to be the same person to me. Maybe mm. that's not the case, but I played through two of the the vision quests here, and they were all kind of the same. Um, they're all for the, I think they're all the same voice actor, kind of doing a little bit of a different performance. But like uh, Inland Empire, for example, which which has this kind of you know I don't know expansive vibe to it. I think just purely in text, almost comes off as like naive or like a conspiracy theorist. Mm. In the vocal performance, and I, that just didn't jive with what I thought the the actual text was doing. And again, mm. that's just that's an actor's choice, and you know, an actor can choose to perform something however they wanted. But I actually thought that's the only place in the voice acting where I thought that I was actually kind of losing something that was really beneficial to me. Mm. Is that I had to learn how I thought about the skills in by just reading them in text. And the voice acting performance here actually was kind of telling me how I thought, how I feel like it was setting standards for how I was supposed to think about them and not oh. really giving me as much, I don't know, uh, reflective capability. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. didn't and, really have uh, thoughts one way or the other on that one. Yeah, and that's only, you know, like I said, that's based on a couple hours of play. Maybe I wouldn't feel that way if I played through the whole game again, but I cannot see myself maybe ever doing that again, to be frank. And I think that that's worth saying, is that perhaps more than any other game we've played, aside from personally, Torment, colon, Tides <laughs> of Numenera. Yeah. Um, I don't think... This a matter actually no. I think that a second playthrough of Torment might be more pleasant than a third playthrough of this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this game is really good the first time you play it. I think it's still pretty good the second time you play it. If there's like you know half a year <laughs> between your first and your second, but the mm-hmm. way we've played it, um, I think highlights some of its weaknesses vis-a-vis replayability. It, it's a mystery, ultimately. 
and I and like that that angle just is not going to work on subs on subsequent plays. So I think we've both experienced that. We both kind of said, yeah, this you know, and this is always a risk when you do like a deep dive podcast on a mm-hmm. on a piece of media. <laughs> you might come out on the other side with a with a different feeling about it. Yeah, well, I, and that's fine. I mean, I, I part of my feelings about this too, not not having anything to do with like quote unquote replayability or mm-hmm. even the amount of content in the game. Like, I think the I think the game is a an excellent one shot through it. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Uh, I you know I think that that works and and whatever my reservations are about it, I, you'll hear a lot of those in the in the kind of final episode that's about to come in here um in just a minute but uh, whatever those are i think that like the first time sitting down and playing the game it made me have a lot of thoughts and made me have a lot of feelings and even if i didn't agree with every move it made or didn't think every move was perhaps justified or worth all the effort to go through it or like worth hearing kuno call me all kinds of awful names um you know just to get down to like the gritty business of what kuno's about even if i don't think that works um i I think Disco Elysium does enough to justify going through it for myself, at least one time and seeing what was up. And I think it worked out great for this, this um, season of, of mages and murder dads. Um, Like, I think it gave us a lot to talk about and think about, but I can't see. Yeah. I just, I will probably never talk about it again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But these political vision quests. So did you, did you watch video of any of them or anything like that? I did. So after I realized, Oh my gosh, I need a high rhetoric. And I like built my character in a way that didn't allow me to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I did watch. I watched. I think all of the videos. No, I didn't watch the uh, the moralist video, but I watched mm-hmm. the ultra liberal and the other two, and the communist and the fascist. So there's like four big political vision quests, and the way it works mechanically is in the same way that you have a copotype, and a aspect of yourself can interject after a conversation and say, "Hey." I'm recognizing this copper type in you, and you can opt in. In the same way that works, on night three, if you have basically checked enough boxes, if you've chosen enough dialogue options that indicate one of those big four ideologies, you will have a dream. And then when you wake up, you have an opportunity to opt in to this political vision quest for lack of a better term mm-hmm. um the it's really easy to see whether you're like hitting those marks for some of the political vision quests because for example ultra liberal there is a thought cabinet thought uh, that you can have called indirect taxation which says every time you pick an ultra liberal dialogue line you get a real mm-hmm. um and i think that for the fascist thought cabinet, like every time you get a, you like say a fascist thing, you take like a morale point of damage, something like that. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you take one morale. Yeah. So those are the options that the game is keeping track of, and yeah. So the, the political vision quest will, can be started as soon as day four. Um, yeah. So, so you so- actually did it. You actually played through it. Yeah, I, so I loaded a save that was right at the end of day three mm-hmm. and uh, then started them both. I, I said a minute ago I played them both. I played one and then I got, I guess, a third of the way through the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I played the communist one and then I started the fascist one, but uh, I was locked out of actually completing it somehow. Yeah. 
Um, where it's it's a little bit tricky to do. I think these are are actually much more tricky than basically any other quest in the game. I think that these are some of the only checks. So the, the, I think before this, and I might be wrong. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna wind that back a little bit. Okay. I can't remember any checks in the game that had a difficulty higher than legendary. Mm-hmm. Uh, off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. All of these quests, I'm pretty sure, have at least one check that is a tier higher than legendary in difficulty. They have like godly difficulty. Yep. Um, so, yeah, your character does need to be min maxed towards the quest or have the exact right um, equipment and drugs in order to in order to accomplish them. Yeah, and I didn't complete, you know, the the communist one because I didn't make the godly check. So, you know, there's a little bit more after that. But, but I think I, we've I, both we've both seen the videos of the full completion of these quests. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, the fascist one I didn't even get that far. So the first one I tried, I loaded my save. I do the fascist one, and uh, my skill says, "Hey, you need to find some other people who want to turn back time." And so I said, okay. And so uh, then I went and talked to all the people who you can talk to who are fascists. Um, And so I talked to the racist lorry driver and my skill, my my fascist conversation eventually got to the point that like, ultimately this is a problem. The reason the fascist lorry or the racist, sorry, the racist lorry driver, the reason he is the way he is, is because he like can't compete in the sexual uh, universe of the the world that we live in you mm-hmm. know he, he like feels like he can't compete for mates essentially because mm-hmm. he, he's like got a little bit of a belly and so it's like ha 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 it's like some real jd vance shit right of like ha 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 we are able to figure out exactly the way the world is by uh, making some wild suppositions about you know uh, the way human beings psychologically interact with the world. No, and I think that he, just from the I don't mean to interrupt your flow, no, 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 but no. I I looked at the end of the fascist quest, and it is very much like the the last stuff you do is very much like psychosexual. Like yeah, a hundred percent. So th- that's where I got to. I went and talked to Measurehead, and he was like, "Hey, you need to talk to someone and really understand how reality works." That loops you in to the Joyce Messier get a reality lowdown thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had not done the prerequisite thing to get the reality lowdown, which I think was a a conversation with Claire. So I just didn't do it. And so I was kind of locked and I was like, all right, well, I can spend another half hour doing this or I can just watch the video. And so I just watched the video. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, But yeah, the end of the fascist quest is you have an extremely long conversation with Measurehead where he kind of like lays out the world for you and the way it works. And basically what he ends up saying is that everything is just, I mean, this is some real summary. It really is like 20 minutes of conversation, but the basic gist of it is that all this is horse shit. And uh, it's, it's kind of about the competition for the ability to reproduce in the world and outside he's better than you. Uh, because you like hang out in the little like union office there and, and chat. And he's like, outside in the world, we're competitors, but here I'm going to like let you know what's up. And he basically says that like self annihilation and procreation are the only thing that matters. And that's some real shortcutting, but that's the kind of thing. And so you can push on it. And he says, yeah, if you're curious about true, absolute turning back time, 
um, and making things right in the world, just go jump into the pail and destroy yourself because that's where it's at. Um, but for everyone else, we have to keep going and we have to keep like spreading and maneuvering in the world. And that's how it happens. Um, and, you know, so there's this kind of competitive Darwinian universe out there. Mm-hmm. So it's actually just kind of the same shit that he's been saying this whole time. I don't actually think very much of that is new based on what, what I'm reading through. As no, and happens. as a matter of fact, it, uh, you know, we talk, I talked about the, uh, we talked about kind of the pro, some of the weird angles of Measurehead and the fact that, you know, he's, when you meet him, he's surrounded by these groupies. Yeah, they uh, uh, they called me Hick Dick mm. in in this in this thing. So yeah, that's like tripled down on you. Yeah, exactly. So this is all this is all uh, set up before. Um, I felt the same way with the ultra liberal um, mm-hmm. questline, which uh, I think that off air we were like reading some of the thought cabinets, and you even noted. Uh, yeah, I don't think I would read this thought cabinet text on the on the show. It was it was like relatively offensive, mm-hmm. um, and so the ultra liberal thing. It's all about uh, hustling and grinding mm. um, and making money, and it is a arc of basically um, buying a uh, a piece of art that Cindy the Skull makes. Selling it to the mega rich light bending guy um, for a stock certificate of like an, an arbitrary amount of shares, and you're on your screen. It literally you get a new box in addition to your real that says net worth, and it's some you know hundreds of thousands of hmm. real in your net worth. And um, you can then hire uh, idiot Doom Spiral, who mm-hmm. used to work in business. As mm-hmm. like uh, an assistant, and yeah, it kind of just ends with um, you rebranding the central statue uh, of uh, of the the previous king, mm-hmm. um, in, in kind of like an art piece way, and uh, yeah, there's a lot more. Uh, and I think we both of us missed kind of the critique of the art world. Uh, that this game had to offer on our first mm-hmm. playthroughs, but that's definitely like a thing you can talk about and listen to and lean I didn't, into. I didn't miss it. We just never talked about it on the show. But yeah, there. I mean, that's where the statue comes from. It was put together by um, artists yeah. who were like ironically putting it back up as mm-hmm. like a postmodern critique, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that yeah. at the end, after this uh, quest, it, you you rebrand it and you have some weird scaffolding around it and there's like a big sign that says the pale will eat all or something along those lines. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so it, there, it's interesting because both of the videos I've watched, there's kind of like little supplemental things that you can experience. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I think neither of us experienced, which is the final dream that you can have with Dolores Day, the stand-in yeah. for your ex. Yeah. Everyone was very astonished by that in the final episode. <laughs> They're like, none of you, no, neither of you slept? And I was like, no. Yeah, that I, that would never occur to me in playing a serious game. <laughs> like, in like playing that game the way I wanted to play it. Um mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, apparently it just offers you some extra dialogue options. But I am worth so much more money than whoever you're seeing is. <laughs> um, and does nothing. Um, yeah, so not too much there. What about the uh, the communist one? 
you go and you find out. You got you got to do a little uh, detective, and you got to find some communists because they have a smell to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you eventually find out. You got to talk to Cindy the Skull. You got to talk to Kami Manana, and you find out that there's a communist cell. You go into the communist cell. By the way, this is where I figured out that you can um, pass time because you have a hard time passing time with Kim and your party. You can open up your uh, what you call it, your uh, folder. Mm-hmm. And read your own case files, and it will advance time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just get in that menu of looking at your case files and hit the space bar about a hundred times, it will <laughs> it will constantly scroll across your screen. It will advance time like until for hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. So that's a fun little thing that I learned. Um, but yeah, so because they meet at night, so you got to go in. Lo and behold, it's just two dudes uh, who are there. They're the quote unquote communist cell, and they just read uh, Mazovian. Uh, materialist uh, literature. They believe in inframaterialism, which is like pretty fun. Uh, it's an uh, an idea that communist crops or radical crops grow faster than other crops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the idea is like if you can get everything sufficiently on the ideological line, it will actually become more successful. Um, and you can you can really feel the kind of poking fun at kind of both doctrinaire ideological communism here and also to like the weird vestigial ways that uh, communism, like mainline communism is stuck around, right? It's like people who want to read books and, you know, think that reading books is like maybe sufficient enough and they like want to be ideologically correct and all of that kind of stuff. Um, it's, uh, you know, I pretty sarcastic feeling. And I got to be honest, it doesn't feel that much different. I, some people have been really... Um, I think put off by the way that I've characterized what I, what I feel like the political views of um, some of the the moments in this game have been. Right, we've. You know, I, I have seen this on Twitter. I've seen yeah. this, and and I've been thinking after I'm reading this is like, wow, well, maybe we just need the final cut, and this will really <laughs> frame kind of the content in this game because it seems like other people are just experiencing it in a very different way. Yeah, and uh, who knows? I, maybe if I sat down and played the whole game again, it would radically change. I don't think. I think you get one shot. <laughs> I don't think you yeah. get to do it again. And, well, but that's the thing is that I, you know, at the end of the day, I, you know, whatever the developers believe, like, and I think this has been a slippage that I have made a kind of jump and a leap that's made it made it easy to to. Um, I don't know to dismiss what I'm saying, and that's fine if you want to dismiss what I'm saying. I don't care. You know, you you are whoever's listening to this. You're your own person. You can think whatever you want. Um, you know, uh, we are we are two different people. We are all engaging with the game, and we're thinking about it, and that's fine. Uh, but you know, it's really whatever the ideological or political in, intent or beliefs of the developers are. I have no idea what those are. Um, but I, I will say in the, the kind of the India, the communist ending, uh, really made me feel this too, that so many of the times when you, you, that so the situations that are presented, it seems like what we're meant to take away from, or, or what we are left to take away, not meant, cause I don't know, but what the scenario in front of you gives the end of it is just a big old shoulder shrug. Mm-hmm. Like, well, here's some stuff. I, you know, I don't know, feel a way about it. Um, you know. <laughs> the the communists are just two uh, incapable idiots who like get in political fights about uh, turnips or whatever. And uh, I, <laughs> and I think that there's some people find it emotionally affecting. Like the one tiny bit of optimism that they feel is in the game is that 
the final scene in the communism bit when they're stacking these matchboxes and this impossible shape holds itself for a few seconds before collapsing. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, the characters can alternatively say, you know, oh, how disappointing or oh, how amazing. I think that that is, that hits some people a particular way. And I think that's that's a lot of the scenarios in the game, right? Like even even in the reality, the oppressive reality of of what things are, there can be a glimmer of hope in the void. And I, like I don't think anyone's wrong for feeling that way. Um, and I think that's absolutely what the game, the the way it's setting things up, right? Even in this crushing despair that is Revishal, um, there can be something else, right? There can be other things that that can be felt, and there can be kind of hope in that void and like that's perfect that's okay and perfectly fine that's also uh you you know i feel about disco elysium the same way i feel about the end of true detective season one um and the disco elysium developers call that as an explicit reference um i feel like sometimes in this game what gets what is so clearly meant to be a glimmer of hope in the void feels unearned in some ways for me. And uh, everyone doesn't have to feel this way, but it feels unearned in that. I think that it feels false in the face of all the kind of crushing (laughs) realism Mm -hmm. of, of the rest of it. And, uh, but that's just me. That's whatever I, you know, and I don't think that despite all the ways that I've been critical and we have been critical of the game or, or thought critically about it or thought that didn't work in some places, I think we've been, equally um full of praise for it working in other places um i don't think any of these political vision quests particularly work for me the two that i looked at i didn't look at the other two they didn't particularly work for me and i'm i'm a little bit uh kind of astonished because i've read a couple reviews of these things uh when the final cut came out and i'm a little bit astonished the way that some people wrote about them to be frank i i think that they are they are just a little bit more of Disco Elysium. I don't think that mm-hmm. they are any different, um, and they they just don't resonate for me. I, I actually think the game might be better without them. I, maybe that's what I'm trying to work my way around. Here's the thing. Uh, it is very easy to just play the game and not experience them. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you know? what you were saying. Yeah, and, that, that... And, and I was telling you this. I was like, I could play my version of Harry Dubois again and, and you know, make the same choices, I would never get any of these because my version of Harry Dubois was the superstar cop who did not care about politics. And you yeah. do have to care. You do have to select um, choices, even, you know, even for, I think, the moralist perspective, you still have to make explicitly political statements mm-hmm. um, one way or the other. Uh, so yeah, you can. I, I think that uh, it's really that this this medium's really hard to uh, <laughs> hard to talk about in some ways because I think my playthrough with no phasmid conversation, no <laughs> possibility for a vision quest, like I, I, I don't know. I think that it's really interesting to talk about what my experience was versus somebody else who got both of those things. And like, yeah, I mean, you're. I didn't really think about it at the time when we were playing through it, but you saying all that right now, your playthrough of the game is pretty emotionally hollow. Oh, 100%. At the end, (laughs) I am this absurd jerk, this incredibly (laughs) destructive cop who completely fucked up the case, and it, it is so unmemorable, the end of the game. Like, the only thing was like, 
apparently Kuno's going to be like a junior detective and I guess they're taking me on or maybe they aren't. Um, but I like my last line is, Oh, you're definitely going to take me back on. It's just, eh, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and I guess I opted into that, but I felt like it was, they were all choices provided to me that felt appropriate for the character that I was given. Mm -hmm. Um, but could you imagine someone writing a review of the game based on their full playthrough, which was mine? I think some people did. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think some people did do that, um, which is why this game, I think the game was, you know, fairly, you know, equally praised. But you, if you read the release reviews, the way it gets talked about in praise is very different, mm-hmm. right? you know, mm-hmm. for those kinds of people who played it a little bit differently. And I certainly saw a lot of this on social media, um, at, you know, the for the people who were playing review copies like I was or whatever. Um yeah, there were there were some pretty differing opinions, I, I would say, um, that once people, I think, gave it a second shot or like worked through it a little bit more or or whatever, um, I think opinion evened out. But I think even the people who played the game in the way that you did and had that kind of experience, they at least praised the game for like, look at this big possibility space. You know, sure. It seems like they've done everything. And, you know, we've played all these other games and it's kind of pseudo genre. Mm-hmm. And still way bigger. You know, I think I think it's a cool game. I think Disco Elysium is is overall rad. I'm glad that it exists. Um, I, I I think there are big gaps in it for me ultimately, and I don't think that those were, will ever be filled. Meaning that I think that the game is so focused on doing some things I just either kind of don't care about or think are maybe the wrong direction um, for what I would do or what I think is like you know, where I want to see this kind of game go, then I just, I, I will never feel the way about it as the the game's biggest fans feel about it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's it. And I think that there's been a little bit of, of friction I, I, that I felt a little bit um, between that crowd and, and maybe particularly some of my opinions that have been on the show. That's okay. Uh, look, we're, we're all, uh, you know, people who can think, think different things about the world. Um, I don't, I, I think the game has, um, I don't think it's like a failure. You know, we all I think know it's really interesting. Harry went through a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Harry was rejected. Harry was finally accepted. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about Disco Elysium. I'm talking about the sponsor for the show, lest anyone forget Harry and the Hendersons, the film. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks Harry so much. And, and uh, please get back to us on Twitter. We'd love to do another um, initiative. We'd love to do some some more projects. Yeah, Amblin Entertainment, at Amblin, please uh, get at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some great offers. Uh, well, anyway, so I said we talked talk for about 20 minutes, and roughly double that time later, mm-hmm. um, we're, we're done. So uh, next we'll be doing Icewind Dale. Uh, we recorded the first episode of Icewind Dale, ooh, six months ago? Luckily, right? uh, plot not quite as heavy <laughs> as this one, so I think we're going to be able to pick it up just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to remember <laughs> what's happening. No, the, uh, the problem with you isn't remembering the plot. The problem with you is remembering the names of your six characters. Yeah, I'm dreading that. But so, yeah, so uh, what you're about to hear, let me let me tell you two things here real quick. What you're about to hear is our initial episode <laughs> of uh, Reflection, like I said before. So just kind of big feelings. I think it's probably going to be something similar to what you just heard here, but much more in in uh, detail, that kind of thing. It's coming right after this. We'll be back in a few weeks. Um, uh, give us a few weeks, but there'll be a little bit of a break between seasons, and then we'll be back with Icewind Dale. 
Um, so I will kick it right over to us in the rest of this episode. Thanks for listening to our final cut opinions. Here are our base game final opinions. Time travel. Whoa. Welcome back to Mages and Murder Dads episode. I don't even know what episode this is. It's episode 74. I'm Cameron. I'm Danny. And uh, this is our 10th episode on Disco Elysium. In the last episode, we finished the game. And I said, hold on. Hold your horses. So you were standing over there, and you, you had all your horses, and you were ready to let them go. Mm-hmm. And you were, you were saying to me, hey, I'm letting these horses go. Here they go. And I said, Danny, don't do it. Danny, hold those horses. I think, yeah, you, you were like, you can't release the horses. Mm-hmm. I think probably, and, and you know, feel free to edit this out because you have total editorial control. Probably because mm-hmm. you had landscaping to do or something. Mm-hmm. Well, I was brandishing a revolver. <laughs> And uh, and I was telling you, hold them horses. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous out here. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the tavern, I guess. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. Roll for perception. All right. Uh, Okay. Ten. Okay. You. There's nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, You see to your left uh, an empty table with some leafy greens on it. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, can I discern if there's baby spinach in there? Roll again. Uh, this is going to be a, uh, I don't know, maybe an insight check? Okay, 10. Stu, uh, you don't, you cannot know. You're radically, what I would, let me, hold on. Can you give me a D, D100? Yeah, sure. 10. You are radically ignorant when it comes to discerning the contents of any kind of salad. Can I, uh perform an insight check to determine how I even know what baby spinach is. Uh, we're going to need a raw intelligence check on that one. I okay. think actually. Yeah. 10. Can you give me that D 100 one more time? 10. You don't know what food is. Um, you don't know. And you also oh, hold on. Let me. All right. You said 10. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking at uh, this is nine. 12 hold on it's right here okay yeah yeah yeah. you don't know what a baby is apparently it just says on the chart you can't you don't know what babies are this is a excerpt from us playing the disco elysium board game (laughs) okay yeah i'm Uh, glad by hasbro right yes by hasbro Mm -hmm. (laughs) what if wouldn't that be great (laughs) Not Wizards of the Coast, but Hasbro. Hasbro. Um, all right, we'll we finish like this game. Clue or something, right? Yeah, it's just like Clue. I, anyone who's ever played Clue can discern from what we just talked about that that is clearly an adaptation of Clue. Mm-hmm. Um, you couldn't hear it, but I was opening and closing like a shitload of tiny envelopes. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of this game? We've had a week to, to ruminate. We recorded the last couple episodes all in a whack mm-hmm. uh, a week ago, our was, time. Was that last weekend? It might have been. Was it? I don't know. Sometime before this this very moment. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think it was last weekend. Uh, and and we said, you know what? Hold on. Let's, uh, let's give it a minute. Let's ruminate on it. And let's come back and have our kind of uh, hashtag big take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what'd you think? You know, uh, the last 
kind of thought that I was dwelling with mm-hmm. was this. I'll kind of give like a like kind of a, a big sentence here. Mm-hmm. Games, big sentence. Yeah. In the same way that there are some games that attempt to give the impression that there are a ton of different options and the game performs some sleight of hand to make it, uh, basically, while you're playing it, it makes you feel like there are a lot of options, but there really aren't. You know the kind of game I'm talking about, right? You mean like Dig Dug? Sure. (laughs) But also, (laughs) um, there are a lot of... uh, kind of big box games that are all about quote-unquote player choice and when you actually look at the mechanics and kind of the waypoints and the plotting and the actual different outcomes uh it's it's much more bottlenecked and railroady uh in reality than what the game makes you feel yeah you know there there's kind of a um you know, branching and pinching. Yes. Right. So like things come out and they come back. And so, you know, I, I agree that, you know, um, lots of big RPGs, you know, for example, mm-hmm. uh, the more recent Assassin's Creed Valhalla, right? I, I think you're right. That language of player choice, make the choice role play in the world that you want to experience. But it's a magic trick and some are more successful yeah. than others. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, by the nature of game design, it's always a magic trick in some yeah. ways. And some are better at selling the trick. I think that this game is interesting because as I kind of think about my experience this time versus the first time, and as I look at some of the stuff that I didn't have not yet experienced from like the wikis, this game does a strange inversion of it for me in that as I am playing it, the experience I have is kind of like a, oh, it couldn't have ended up any other way. Mm-hmm. Um it felt like my encounter with Ruby felt like, oh, this just this has to happen. I feel completely railroaded. To an extent, it felt like the shootout was like, well, this has to end this way. And it's I think that it, there is a mode in which there kind of like this overarching thought that the game is trying to convey, which is this the effects of history and the inertia of history on the present that kind of play out in the in my experience of the game and choices. Because I, I do think that that inversion has happened where I think there are more options that this game actually has than the, what I feel while playing it. And it's because while, while I am playing it, I think that there is something about the 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 stance of the game on history and on individual actions is like bleeding through to my experience of playing it. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. uh, Yeah, I agree. I mean, the game often feels like um, it couldn't have ever happened any other way, like you're saying. And I think part of what makes that, that feel that way is that the, the, the designers of the game have thought really, they thought a lot about what are the mechanisms that make player choice work and traditionally, that is choice, right? Like, sure. uh, you know, I am typing something into a parser, or I am clicking, uh, you know, a dialogue option, or I'm choosing to shoot this person or not shoot them, right? These are binary choices that then branch into other binary choices, blah, 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 blah. The Disco Elysium, the, the way that it, it, it has that, obviously, right? It has, like, branching choices that you can make in intentional ways, but then kind of behind that or, or bracketed by that or kind of subtending that system is 
how you choose to build your character, right? Like how you choose to allocate your stat points in the thought cabinet. I was going to say catalog again. Cabinet or in the like skill system, that necessarily surfaces some some options and submerges other options. And so I, the, I think part of the reason it feels like, you know, we're on, we're on this train and we're going the whole way with some, you know, limited options in the middle is that you just never see some options, right? You mm-hmm. never see some possible pathways and it's because of choices you made without even really knowing you made them. Yes. Um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later about, uh, you know, several different pieces or, or, you know, I don't know, pieces of criticism, I guess, that we've looked at or talked about or whatever. We call about these this takes William. now. I, no, we don't. <laughs> I refuse. You wrote reflections in the document. It's true. Uh, so we don't even call them takes. But mm-hmm. uh, but but th- that is really, if you watch, I'm going to put links to these uh, in the video description, but if you watch Jacob Geller's video on Disco Elysium, that's basically kind of the, the angle that Jacob comes from, is that um, putting all your points in shivers, right, gives you a particular vision of this world. And mm-hmm. so that's this kind of like background, you know, almost background radiation choice, right? That, that then kind of echoes through the whole thing. So for, for me, you know, I've played it, you know, two times, I guess now, uh, all the way through. And you're always on a bullet train, but you've made choices about what bullet train to get on is how, mm-hmm. how it kind of feels. Um, I don't know. I mean, what are some of the other ways that could go with Ruby? I think we basically had the exact, not basically, we did have the exact same outcome. There are two possibilities, basically. She can um, run away as the other one? Yeah, you. There is no possible way that you arrest Ruby. You either, uh, you either, she either feels cornered and will commit suicide, or you can allow her to run away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that in my first playthrough, I think I said this in the last episode, but I'm pretty sure that she ran away, mm-hmm. uh, or I let her go. Yeah, um, the shootout has kind of a lot of permutations. It always becomes violent. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's like one way where your necktie gets incinerated and you throw a Molotov cocktail at them. That's what I've heard. I I think I saw that in. I don't remember. Maybe maybe when I was googling around about how when I was soft locked, mm-hmm. I might have seen people talking about that. But I, yeah, I didn't I didn't look up how you get it. Yeah, uh, but does that really change the scenario? No, no, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it doesn't. Uh, there's also just like in looking at some of the video essays, I suppose, mm-hmm. that we examine for this episode. Like I saw a clip of, uh, I saw like some footage of Noah Caldwell Gervais's footage where they were engaged in conversation with the religious figure Dolores Day. Yeah. And, on and the, like, in I, person or on the phone? In person. Yeah, you can do it two different ways. Yeah, so so there are just all of these various little experiences that I, I was certainly never afforded in the game, but and mm-hmm. yet when I finish my game, it just feels canon to me. It feels like, oh, that's the only way it could have gone. Yeah, the Dolores Day stuff, as far as I can understand, this hasn't happened to me either time uh, that I've played the game. Obviously, it didn't happen this time. But part of that comes from... Um, well, let, let me tell a little story to get here. So the first time I finished the game, right? So I finished it, and then I was writing about it, kind of writing a review. 
and I finished it and I was talking to another critic and they were like, yeah, I just couldn't really get over like the weird gender stuff going on with Dolores Day. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like I never encountered Dolores Day. Um, what are you talking about? And so they started like telling me all this stuff that happened. I was like, what? And this is like during the review period too. So it's like not, you know, there's not a wiki for, for us to go look at, mm-hmm. right? It's just just comparison of of stuff that's happening. So I believe, given my understanding of that conversation, I've never gone back to look it up, but my, my understanding is that if you constantly are thinking about your ex-wife and constantly thinking about your time before, there's this way that the game melds Dolores Day and this, like, you know, ghostly woman figure from your life that keeps coming up that, you know, I kept bringing that up during the show. Yeah. Um, that like the game keeps trying to railroad you there. Well, if you follow that railroad down it and, and uh, you end up in this, the way this critic described it to me, um, a, a kind of very saccharine and um, overly nostalgic for the relationship kind of, um, I don't know, conversation mm-hmm. where like your own, your character's own attachment to a woman becomes self same with like the Jesus of this world. Hmm. Um, and there, I think there's some overtones to that. They're that a little bit weird, but I haven't played through it. You know, I can't say one way or the other. I don't want to judge it, but that was certainly the vibe that they had uh, out of it. But, do, you, but yeah. do you remember the first conversation we ever had about Disco Elysium? <sighs> Let's see. I'm trying to think. No, it's I think it's recorded for posterity among uh, among like the good listeners. Mm-hmm. Who, oh, is that <laughs> who subscribe to the Patreon? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, the chosen few, the chosen that well, self-chosen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like over this past summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I played the game and we kind of talked about it on the Patreon cast and I, I kind of had, I read your piece. Uh, I waited mm-hmm. until I played the game to read your pieces cause they're just, just chock full of spoilers. Yeah. Um, and it was specifically your vice piece, the mysterious magical end of disco Elysium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we had an interesting conversation about that because I don't think I had the encounter with the phasmid mm-hmm. and and kind of your piece, at least when we were talking about it, it really your piece kind of like one of the statements it makes is like this encounter really contextualizes a lot of the game and a lot of the game's thinking about like capital S stuff. Yeah. And so one of the questions I was posing to you was like, well, what happens if the player just doesn't have that encounter? Like, like, mm-hmm. And I don't know where we landed. I think at the time we didn't necessarily know how optional the encounter was, like whether or not any of it would get you, would, you know, you would get force fed. Mm-hmm. But obviously after our playthrough, you can just not have it. It's just, it can just be something you completely miss due to a well, 3% chance. Not really, though. You did encounter it. You encounter it, but you don't get the you don't get this conversation about human thought being the enemy of the world, being the the the, the ultimate form of human waste. Yeah, I think it's still. I I don't know. I mean, I think I'm a hardliner on it in the sense that I think it still does that work, even though the explanation isn't fully there. Meaning that I think that the imagery and then the context, right, which is that the thing that you believe. This thing that is mysterious 
and um, uh, you know beyond the human, right? Xeno humanistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know the appropriate word for it. Right? Um, it, it, it this thing that you know, if you follow, follow down the right pathway, or even if you don't, right? I didn't. I didn't get the rest of the conversation with um, the the cryptozoologists. Right? You know, yeah. I got locked out of that. But even in the the as far as I got into it this time, um, you know, you still have this thing of this vibe of these two people believe in something that has no proof in the world other than basically the feeling of a five year old, mm-hmm. right? The memory of a five year old, and in the final moments of confronting the past history, right? The the you know the communard sniper. Mm-hmm. And, and watching it break, you know, that breakdown and being surrendered to, in that moment, you encounter the numinous, mm-hmm. right? The, the thing beyond the human that is, that is truly, you know, un, unthinkable in some ways. And importantly, the, the way you talk to the phasmid, this is something if I were writing this piece again, right? I, I think I would think about it a little bit more is that the, the phasmid, Inland Empire as an ability is some sort of like intra-psyche narration yeah and repeatedly in the game you have the option of asking well am i just talking to myself when i'm like asking or accessing inland empire and so so i think in some ways inland empire and in, in having the conversation with the phasma i think it gives you more information kind of in a general sense about the world capital i information but i don't think it really changes the meaning one way or the other which is that against the backdrop of history you know history giving us whiplash in this entire case, right? Of the the past, you know, hauntologically coming back to get us against that. There's still a massive backdrop of the unknown, the, the, you know, uh, the unthinkable, the unaccessible that we only get glimmers of as a species. And for me, that's just like all Cormac McCarthy shit, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I, and I don't say that to be like, blah, Cormac McCarthy, but you know, the, that, the material of the earth is the guarantor of time beyond the human. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's at the core of the game. Just, you know, that's my, that's still, I think that's only been strengthened playing it through again. Do you feel, you know, just here's, here's a big question. Do you agree with this or not? Mm-hmm. Is some of the, uh, I think that this is, um, Disco Elysium was too afraid of sincerity to be revolutionary. That was mm-hmm. a, a piece by uh, Colin Spechet Twinks. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, it's good. It's funny. It's no funny joke. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, again the links to these things will be down in the description below. So, kind of a thrust here is that there is this. We we kind of use terms like South Park. Um, yeah. To describe this like complete ironic detachment. This idea of. The, the game seems to have an uh, like an allergic reaction to sincerity. There's always um, uh, a little asterisk behind any kind of statement that, mm-hmm. you know, when you look down at the end of the page, it basically says, but this is all bullshit. We know it's all bullshit, right? Yeah. There seems to be two kind of competing, and maybe this is actually just one thing, but there seems kind of really like there are two defenses to this. Like if you wanted to defend the game, and say, well, no, it's not merely that the game has this stance of, of uh, complete and utter detachment and, and cynicism. Mm-hmm. One, the, the protagonist and the, the entity through which you experience the game 
is a man just utterly enveloped by a horrific case of depression and like suicidal yes. depression yes. And, and substance abuse, et cetera. So that's one. So like you, you have to like keep that in mind in all of your like experiences in all of like these uh, super acerbic um, conclusions to everything in the thought cabinet. Like it doesn't matter whether it's communism or fascism or whatever, like it seems like the re- like the the resolving action of anything in the thought cabinet is just ah, but it's all bullshit and I'm depressed. So you have to keep mm-hmm. it in mind that this entity you're playing, you don't get to opt out of the depression. You're there. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, which is something you may or may not experience depending on an electrochemistry role, is you meet an entity outside of human thought. You interact with it. And through Inland Empire, which another big caveat here, maybe this is just all coming from you. I don't buy that. And I'll tell you why in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but Because that guy's behind the diner, <laughs> that David Lynch movie. Yeah, because the guy is behind the diner or because yeah. Inland Empire actually does solve the case the second you see the corpse, right? That's true. <laughs> Loved How it. How would you know other than it being true? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. Um, so, but the the phasmid does tell you, yeah, all that nonsense rattling around in your thought cabinet, it's awful. That is the, like the ultimate <laughs> evil of the universe. All this shit yes. is bad. Mm-hmm. And your participation in it is... Obviously involuntary until you commit suicide, and you and the, the fact that you are just generating these thoughts and you keep filling up that fog cabinet, you are just like spewing horrific toxic waste into the world. So like yep. those are the two. These are the two ways that I think the game can defend itself from accusations of uh, political cynicism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and maybe they are just one way. But I, I, I once again I reject the synthesis of. Inland Empire being entirely internal because of communism killed me. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it at least gives you enough. And, and I guess, too, that I didn't do it. I never tried to do it. But you can also convince Kim that there's a big sexy mystery yes. underneath with, with Inland Empire. And so, you know, it's really weird that that's not a rhetoric thing. I will say this, too, that the additional thing. I think maybe, uh, you know, someone listening to this, because I certainly had the thought and then immediately like sutured the thought up <laughs> while you were talking, but uh, about how can it be both like what I just said, which is like this deeply, you know, melancholic reflection on the relationship between the human and the natural world, right? This, you know, I, I think that one thing that we can say about Cormac McCarthy in that kind of comparison I made is that Cormac McCarthy is a deeply sincere writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you might not come to good conclusions necessarily all the time, but I think he is certainly very serious and and uh, truthful, uh, at least to his experience of things. Um, and I don't necessarily agree with with them when he gets there mm-hmm. but uh but how could it be that and also south parky right mm-hmm. and i think that there's a little bit of the um you know this is what 
basically everyone talks about when they're talking about this game. I don't know if I've written about it, but you know, the Disco Elysium devs when the game came out released kind of a list of like, here's things this is in conversation with. Here, Here's like stuff that we were thinking about, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, almost all of them have this relationship. So one of them is True Detective. So this is a good example of that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to spoil True Detective over the next, uh, you know, five minutes or so. Uh, True Detective, you know, Rust Cole and uh, Woody Harrelson. <laughs> I don't remember that guy's name. Uh, but, so uh, Rust Cole and... Um, yep. Oh, I remember there's a... Uh, so Cole, it's like, uh, it's, it's dark, but it actually burns brightly with truth. And then, then uh, I can't remember. There was, a, mm-hmm. there was like an interesting literary interpretation of, uh, of Woody Harrelson's name. Mm-hmm. Jeff. <laughs> burns like a Jeff. Uh, no, um, but, uh, but anyway, so the, the, the shot, right? Heart, the, uh, Marty Hart. <laughs> but <laughs> that's my feeling on that. <laughs> but, uh, but the whole shot of True Detective, right, is that there is, uh, Rust Cole is a character who can do what needs to be done, quote unquote, right? Make all the hard decisions. And he's like a deep nihilist. Um, but that ultimately enables him to do the thing that, that, you know, to kill the serial killer at the end or defeat the serial killer. And, uh, then in the last moments of the show or, you know, the last 20 minutes or so, he almost dies. And then he has this kind of, uh, experience, right? Where he is describing the warm heart of the universe, right? Where his dead daughter is and all this kind of stuff. Um, and has a complete change of heart, right? That, you know, there is not a vast no- nothing. There is, in fact, a something. And that something is so affecting as to radically change your life when you are run up against it. It's and a change me, of heart, but it's also, it incorporates, I think it, like, it folds into his understanding of belief. Because I do think that the show is yes. trying to say, in order to truly appreciate the something, you must first live admitting the nothing. Yeah, and this go a hundred percent. I think, or I don't think you have to admit the nothing, but you have to confront the nothing. You have to right? confront the nothing. Yes, and you know this is something that's right in existentialist literature. It's an absurdism. It goes all the way back to Job, right? <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> Dude, who are you? Yeah. Literally, who are you to ask? You know, the the, the storm. Or who whatever, are right? you to to question or to even reveal the tricks of the guild of magic? Exactly. Um, so that's all to say that I think, and if you look at the list of their, of, uh, you know, their, uh, references, you know, one thing that Jacob Geller brings out, um, in that video that I mentioned before is the city in the city, the China Melville thing. Mm-hmm. It's very similar, right? Uh, you know, um, down, you know, cop has to come to the, the realization that the world is not as he believes it is. Right. And there's in fact a, uh, difficult synthetic thing beneath the structure of the world uh, that that he lives in so all of these things for me you know as, as, a, as a kind of reader and very familiar with a large amount of the stuff that they're in reference to they all have a very similar structure right which is that uh you know it's the nightmare of existence and then that uh, dialectically smashes into something in the world that cannot fold in neatly right without mm-hmm. changing yourself into this nihilistic view of the world. And so then, therefore, you come out of that perhaps more whole. Hmm. Um, and I think both characters, both playthroughs that we had, we came out more whole from the whole encounter. Um, it just kind of depends on, uh, you know, the political upshot of it, right? Hmm. You just went back and bullied everyone into doing whatever you wanted them to. Um, 
Yeah, but my personality was so all-encompassingly toxic that uh, any attempt to, like, interact with me invariably taints one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so <laughs> but I, yeah, don't know how, also... I don't know how else to interpret my ending. <laughs> yeah, so that's all to say, right? I think, you know, I think that the phasmid, you know, is exactly what I said before. It's It's this kind of symbolic, you know representation of the guarantor of something bigger than the human. And I think you get it in your playthrough, even though you only see it for a moment. Um, I just think there's like different degrees to which it gets to speak, if that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, different degrees to which we are forced to engage or asked to engage with that symbol. I think it's still there no matter what. Mm. And I don't think it's possible to get there. Someone please correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is someone, you always see the phasmid. Yes. It just depends on what you do with the Vasmid. No, it, you, I think that you can completely uh, not engage with the uh, cryptozoologists and still mm-hmm. see the Vasmid, which I think would be rad. I would love to actually, I might actually play this game just to see if I could do that. If never talk to Moral, never talk to anyone and like never mention the Vasmid and just see how the character, like how it strikes the character at the end. Can you complete the game without engaging with them, though? Sure. You're the second, just by, you, yeah, just the by s- stacking shivers? Oh, absolutely. But And the reason I say that, I, I guess it has to be possible. Uh, the, the reason I say that is that the, the cryptozoologists gate three of the possible quests, right, for the shivers check at the wall. And so you're really heavily incentivized to talk to them. Yeah, maybe, maybe give it another shot. I bet you can speed run this game really quickly. Oh yeah, just go sit on that bench the whole time. Sit on that bench for three days and then go to the end of the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's uh, what's wild: What happens if you go and confront Ruby before you get the corpse down? I don't know. <laughs> it's just wild questions. Also, I uh, I did start playing the game because I just wanted to know what the other option to get the body down looks like. Mm-hmm. And uh, Measurehead is the person that uh, that Claire sends to get the body down, and Measurehead just rips down the um, the branch. Huh. Which really makes me wonder. I almost want to play it again to see what happens if I knock out Measurehead and then talk to Claire. Does Claire still send Measurehead to get the body down for me? I mean, I think this is the benefit of the game, right? Is that that this has all been thought through. Yeah. Right. And I guess that's what you were saying at the beginning, too. But I know, um, and I think you're just to finish your thought there, um, because it's one that just really occurred to me. It's like I think it might just be a testament to it might just be a testament to how, like how much thought was put into it because when you're experiencing the consequences of a choice it's it's well enough thought out and written that it feels like there's no way they could put this much energy into anything else yeah and i think it has to do with a long development time mm-hmm. uh they had a big staff of writers too i mean big for for a game like this i think there are five or six writers total mm-hmm. so you know they had the kind of capability to do that to stretch for uh, it's probably out by the time that people are hearing this, and if it is, I'll I'll put a uh, link down below. But for the journal Science Fiction Film and Television, I've been co-editing uh, a issue on science fiction games, and so we did some interviews with some practitioners for that. And one was Magna Giant, who is um, was the writer of Eighty Days, 
done a bunch of other stuff as well. But the reason I bring up 80 days specifically is that we were talking a little bit about how many words that has. And uh, she said uh, that it's a little bit more than the Lord of the Rings and a little bit less of a song than a song of ice and fire, I think. And she wrote all these words. But uh, the average player only sees like 5%. I don't have the number in front of me, but something like 5% in a playthrough. Hmm. And every playthrough feels complete in the same way that Disco Elysium kind of does, right? Like, it feels like you're on a path where you've made important choices, but, you know, everything kind of hangs together in an important way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that part of kind of the, a big development in games writing in a general sense is looking at the past 20 years of games and thinking, what are the things that I wish had felt a little bit more fulfilling or a little bit more filled in or a little bit more... Um, I don't know, thought through, right? Mm-hmm. And then dedicating resources to that as a first principle rather than as something down the line, right? Um, so rather than having one person like crunch out a billion words, what does it mean when we build a game that is built around words? And I think that Disco Elysium is built around words in the yeah. same way that 80 Days is. Um, uh, you know, ultimately the skill system is just about giving you more access to different kinds of words. Yeah. Um, and same with the thought cabinet. But anyway, I just wanted to say that I think that, that you know, that's something that's happening around indie, you know, games writing right now that's very exciting mm-hmm. is that the, the plurality of the space is so large that each kind of iteration and each attempt through it experimenting with the different choices really does give different options as opposed to like a Mass Effect or something like that where, you know, who cares? <laughs> I mean, that's how I feel at the end. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, who cares? Like, it doesn't really matter. I think mm-hmm. I have a different relationship to those games than uh, than some other people do. Is that uh, after you spend uh, 40 hours talking about it on, like, season nine of um, Too Much Future, are you going to just, <laughs> hey, feel free to uh, listen to Mages and Murder Dads, episode 74 for my... You know, you know, that's a very interesting question because I don't think, I mean, I think too much future, too much future never goes beyond fallout. I don't think, mm. right. I don't think we, I think, and I haven't talked to Michael about this is just off the cuff thinking it's, it's a, a show about fallout. And when mm. we're done with fallout, we're going to wait for a new fallout game. Mm. I actually think, I think mages and murder dads is more likely to go to mass effect. Mm. Weirdly enough. So you can call me out on episode like 111. I'll remember too. When we've only finished Baldur's Gate 3. Basically, mm-hmm. episodes, basically, you know, episodes 75 through uh, 111 are going to be Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah. Mm. Okay, well, you, you'll know I'll remember. I remember I every piece of hypocrisy you've ever I done. I know. And you, you deny 75% of it. Because you can't prove it. I've it's, edited it out. It's 100% true. The only 25% you admit is the, is the stuff I just have absolute hardcore evidence of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to edit that out too I'll leave this part in but I'll edit out the thing that I said that you can point out my potential hypocrisy in the future okay yeah in the future when I'm like I just when Garrus would he shot that can out of the air <laughs> and I had the option to talk have, to him and be I've his bro I've never played any of these games I have no idea what you're talking about uh, well that's a thing that can mm-hmm. happen okay All you right. can go can shooting with your bro at one point the uh hey you know what this is a thing this doesn't really have anything to do with mages and murder dads but i'm gonna put it in here anyway uh we talked at some point about how the special editions of mass effect are coming out or you know remastered editions that you can you should wait 
Remember I told you, hey, just oh, wait. That's right. They're coming out. Oh, is it real? Yeah, in like a couple months. Is it going to be on the PS5? I don't know. Okay. You now know exactly all I know about okay. it. Gotcha. You, you, that's a complete mind meld that we just did. This is the silliest mind meld. Uh, the, uh, yeah, okay. Well, what, what else? What other big ideas? I, I mean, here, let me, I said I would talk about this uh, in the last episode, and I talked about it a little bit. I'm going to say it again here. I played through this game as a fascist racist. Mm-hmm. I don't think the game pays that off in any way. No, it really had like 17 opportunities to. Yeah. I think that unless I somehow messed, beefed it up and and there is a big payoff that I just somehow missed by like not doing it enough. But, you know, when Kim calls me a giant fascist at the end and like there's no repercussion for that. Sure. And like I said last time, I've actually really thought about it since the last time we recorded, right? And I thought... There, you know, there. This is repeating a little bit of what I said last episode, but there's a way of reading this that is like, okay, this is a critique of policing, right? You can, in fact, be all these bad things and still be yeah. a police officer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a perfectly valid reading, but I don't think they do any of the work to like make that clear. Oh, that's, that's that, all player doing yeah, that. Yeah, if that's there, it's subtext and not text. And for the amount of effort that this game goes through to make so much stuff text rather than subtext, mm-hmm. I just don't think that's like a, there's not enough oomph there to make me think that's that is um, I don't know strongly intended. I think it maybe it's just latent in the thing. So so yeah, I you know I don't think I don't have the the author right in front of me again. The the writer of the the piece for Fanbyte where they went through and, and played it as a racist fascist. I do agree that in the mid game, that the that the game is often, uh, you know, kind of treating you. It's treating you like like a racist uncle, right? Like this imaginary fictional figure that everyone talks about around Thanksgiving on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the racist uncle. Who the mytho-historical like... racist uncle. <laughs> yes. Uh, right, who, who you just have to, like, get through it, right, mm-hmm. with. Um, and I just, I think, you know, there's this almost, like, benign, like, Kim, Kim can't abandon you. And so he just has to put up with it. Well, I mean, here's, here's, I know you're pushing, you've already pushed back against this narrative um, of the, uh, you know, criticism of police. But in some ways, you're the protagonist, Harry Dubois, occupies the same sociological space as the racist uncle. Because Mm -hmm. the racist uncle must be tolerated because you have no power to stop him. Right. Because... Look, he's he is invited to Thanksgiving no matter what. Um, your you have no leverage over your family's invitation. Harry Dubois is the highest ranking police officer we meet in this game. I'm pretty sure. I think I think that it is fair that he is higher ranking than his partner that shows up at the end. Jean Vicmar? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know why in in the hundreds of video game characters I can't remember their names of. I remember Jean Vicmar. And you remember extremely. Trent. Yeah, I also remember Trent. Yeah, let me tell you here too in the middle of this that I really strongly thought about creating a new segment on the show called Trant Time, <laughs> where I just talk about Trant for a while. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, I don't know what I would talk about in Trant Time. So I, I didn't do it. I think but. Trant Time isn't uh, talking about Trant. I think Trant Time is you role-playing Trant and talking about whatever <laughs> we're talking about in the game mm-hmm. as Trant. Like mm-hmm. you basically channeling Trant and explaining mm-hmm. something. 
but yeah, I thought about both of these things for like the since we recorded that last episode. I was like, what would Trant time like? What would the bit be like? And I just couldn't, I couldn't get there. Something mm-hmm. I thought was good enough, but you know, it's a little peek behind the curtain of uh, product development over here at Rage Touch, <laughs> where I think about Trant time and it just mm-hmm. doesn't. And then I don't have anything. But anyway, sorry. But no, so, but yeah, the right, highest yeah. ranking officer, highest ranking officer. So really, no one can stop you. You outrank Kim, and I, Kim well, is an institutionalist. I think all I think all of the evidence for the reading is there. And if someone came to that conclusion, I would not say that they are wrong. I think mm-hmm. it's a valid reading of the thing. Mm-hmm. And yet, against the backdrop of so many things in this game being so in your face. The game's working so hard on so much, at yeah, so many exactly. different work sites. Everywhere else. You I just want them to why. pick up one shovel at the, exactly. on the racism mound. Exactly. And I don't know why this would be the place where you wouldn't pick up the shovel. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, like, strongly condemn it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, here's... So. How would you feel... And this is, this is really lazy question-making. I, I know mm-hmm. that these kind of hypotheticals are just useless. But I just mm-hmm. want get to a, get a peek into your, into your emotional state. Into a right. hypothetical emotional state. Okay. How would you feel if during the shootout, after being a racist, there is this moment where Kim shoots the guy through the helmet because mm-hmm. he's about to shoot you, mm-hmm. and he aims and then looks at you and just smiles a little bit, and then you can see him like lower his gun before you're shot, and the, and basically you always die because of your racism, <laughs> and like and like the 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 death screen is like the is the newspaper headline. And it's interviewing Cam, and he says, yeah, he died in that shootout. It sucks, but he was a huge racist. <laughs> I mean, I think that would be okay. I, I think, well, I think the reason they didn't do that, mm-hmm. and like, I, am, I can't imagine in a world in which so many things were thought of in this game that they didn't at least entertain an idea of, of, of you know, your relationship with Kim being bad enough that he just lets you take a hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's in the game. I don't know, right? I ended up having, weirdly enough, I think we figured out, you know, my relationship with Kim was pretty good. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's in there in the shootout. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think you should have him look at, the, look at look at the character and smile a little bit because I think that plays into a racial stereotype in some mm-hmm. ways. Uh, that might be a little bit justifying. But I do think that, you know, having Kim hesitate or whatever, sure. right, uh, that might uh you know do it and weirdly enough i mean running back into the problem or not problem but you know what we talked about last time is that i got a bonus for my relationship with kim to help kim roll out of the way of being shot so Mm -hmm. um you know i i think maybe well i don't know i think the game is trying to demonstrate the the reality the complexity of actual real world life which is that you could have a good relationship with someone who you are passively and aggressively racist toward all the time. I'm sure that happens all the time uh, in the world because human life is fucked up and weird, mm-hmm. right? Like, I get it. And I uh, applaud the desire for complexity. Um, but I think in a game that is so so willing to, to, yeah, to just do the work in so many other places, I would have liked to see more work here. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think I would have liked to see the... I don't know, some comeuppance here. Because I think, like I you know, I was saying a few minutes ago, I think the game does do a lot of work to chide you, right? In the mm-hmm. same way that you might chide that racist uncle. But it doesn't really judge you. And mm-hmm. I think that maybe the game should judge you on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, still the best storytelling in a game. I think this was kind of like 
more or less said in some of the, I don't know, I think you've said this to me, some of the best storytelling in a video game. Yeah, as far as like laying out the tracks and then actually like pulling it through. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And But I'm also a little bit worried, you know, I wrote about this in one of my pieces that I wrote about the game um, for uh, Waypoint. Um, I'm a little bit worried that this game becomes like the marker of good quality writing in the same way that Planescape Torment became the marker of good quality writing. And I've seen this said a lot of times, right? Like in public discourse that like, this is now the game with the good writing. Mm. And it's precisely, it's precisely, precisely whoosh because of the, it's inability to judge sometimes. Mm. Um, and it's ability to, or it's desire to present, you know, complexity you know the kuno or measure head and that kind of like you deal with the real world bro like what about this this is the real kind of stuff in the world i i think this game handles that as deftly as you can right i think it does a very good job of trying to demonstrate complexity and uh ultimately giving you a lot of tools to fight back against those people maybe not when you're doing it yourself in the game but certainly to respond to those people Uh, You know, to back up Kim against the racist lorry driver or whatever. I'm afraid that... Afraid is not the right word. Um, I I have the feeling that... You are terrified. I'm terrified. I'm literally shaking in my boots. I am scared. Mm -hmm. I'm writing letters to people. I I don't leave my house. I am... uh, I've got a can with a string attached to another can. I'm in the treehouse... My wife's down in, in the house by itself. We're communicating that way. I'm eating baked beans, cooked mm-hmm. over a camp stove. Mm-hmm. You know, utterly shooketh. Mm-hmm. Um, but but my, my concern, I guess, is in the next couple of years, we get another kind of Disco Elysium-like mm-hmm. that is not as talented and can't sink the shot and yet goes for all the same pieces. Because mm. I think it is very tempting to try to make a game after you've played Disco Elysium, I think it's tempting to make a game like Disco Elysium. Sure. I think that one of the things you've said is kind of, you applaud the game for being having some of the best storytelling, but it's almost like the fact that it had some of the best storytelling, it's like, okay, well, that's now the Planescape Torment. That is now yeah. the benchmark. Yep. And everything is going to get compared to it. And, every, and like, it is now, it now kind of, occupies a space in not only game making but maybe game criticism that will warp basically warp the future in the same way that that uh those communists destroying the uh you know the digital computer warped mm-hmm. history and disco elysium that it, that it will be this this thing and, and and it seems like that's kind of melded with your concern about the way in which it's engaging with a lot of charged issues yeah i think so Mm -hmm. um and maybe i'm wrong right like you know that that's the kind of like speculative called shot that you know maybe it's just wrong Mm -hmm. you'll edit out you'll edit it out in five years if you're wrong yeah if in five years if i'm wrong i'm gonna come back to this one i'm gonna edit it out uh be on the lookout for the upload and uh come back and watch it again so it keeps the numbers up but uh (laughs) You know, maybe I'm wrong about that, right? And certainly in the year since, I haven't seen nearly as many comparisons to it as I thought I would. So maybe I'm just wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but also, you know, Noah Caldwell Gervais calls it a modern classic. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, I think, and that's, that is not something, or that, that language is something I've seen shared. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've seen a lot of credit of comparison to it, not in written criticism necessarily, but kind of colloquially, you know, I see a lot of people talking about other games, you know, when I'm looking at Reddit or whatever, uh, I see it come up on, on kind of the, what I would consider like the broad consumer end and less on the, the kind of critic end. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows? I don't know. Are we it's a f- called shot and a concern. Is, uh, is another concerning thing the idea that this, I think in, in spite of all odds, uh, Noah in the, in the, oh gosh, what was the title of the video essay? Judicial Opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, Noah kind of paints a picture of the game as this long shot that made it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and is another concerning thing that like the, the cynicism and the detached irony is kind of almost a necessary component of something like this being incredibly popular because in a world where it did take a stronger stance, like Colin, um, kind of laments that it didn't, there's no way it could be that popular. Maybe in the uh, same way know, that in the same yeah. way that like range touch for some reason doesn't have Joe Rogan's uh, listenership. Yeah. He, yes. <laughs> because, uh, because an, an open and an absolute open credulity to all things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the ability, the willingness to entertain what bad stuff. <laughs> you know, I, was, I was trying to think of a better way to phrase that, but the willingness to entertain it, it gives at least an entree into the full thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what you're asking. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I think, yeah, I think the idea of like, um, all it takes all comers, right? Sure. Up to a certain point, and I do think that it gives you the ability to. The game is judgy about some things more than others. Um, yeah, yes, I think so. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that is exactly is the reason why we don't have Joe Rogan's numbers. I don't think that's exactly the case. Look, I am constantly just scratching my head coming up with random hypotheses. So mm-hmm. that's just put another one on the pile. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like how, uh, you know, Einstein was sitting in the patent office and... Uh, said, God doesn't play dice with the universe. No, I think he was <laughs> listening to some bells from across town and trying to figure out why they sounded further away. Mm. Or why they happened at different times if they were ringing at the same moment. But, you know, and then he thought, oh, i got to think up general relativity. <laughs> you're sitting at the undisclosed underground bunker mm-hmm. and you're thinking, why am I not more popular? <laughs> <laughs> And it's the same kind of genius at work in both cases. And it's just uh, it's just me with my... Uh, it's a scroll, actually. It's just one long piece of paper. And the, the most recent thing I've got down there, aside from this that I just said, was more chimps? Question mark? <laughs> okay, well, what else? What else? We uh, Other big thoughts here. I'm glad we did it. Yeah, I'm glad we did it, too. I think that here, here's a big question. Is this just going to... You know, we, we came back. Mages of Murder Dads. Mm. rise from the ashes mm-hmm. um come back mm-hmm. does disco elysium plays mm-hmm. the game you claim to be kind of setting a new standard for storytelling and games we mm-hmm. both claim mm-hmm. was this a mistake <laughs> playing this it, game do, yeah well, well is it a mistake in the long term if the idea is oh we'll, we'll just follow this season up we know we're gonna do Baldur's gate three we promised we would do it 
Um, Pillars of Eternity might be in the mix. There might be other things floating around. Um, No, I don't think it's a mistake in the sense that, uh, like, Pillars of Eternity is just a different kind of game, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's a different kind of universe, different kind of genre expectations. Sure. Um, And I mean that both in the sense of game genre and, I mean, I think this game is just much closer to, like, a a visual novel or an adventure game than it really is, like, an RPG, even though it is in the isometric RPG universe. I just think it's different, and I think that we'll have different... I I don't think we're ever... Personally... I don't think we're going to be playing Pillars of Eternity and being like, I just wish it had the <laughs> voluminous depth of Disco Elysium. I think we're going to be like, hell yeah, that dude is a, a wizard. <laughs> it's true. It's true. No, and, and thinking back, I, I just think that our content on Baldur's Gate 3 will be every episode uh, having a little feature of like, this is the weird thing that the jump action did this episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I've been keeping up with that a little bit, and they've like um, changed up jump a little bit. They've like tried to even that out or, or uh, rough or uh, fix some of those rough edges. Um, I've been looking at the updates for Baldur's Gate three just to see what's been coming down the pipeline, and, and there's some interesting stuff. They've added more story stuff to the first act apparently at this point, so uh, I think it might actually have like an ending thing to it now, <laughs> as opposed to just be over mm. uh, or just run out of shit to do. But mm-hmm. um, but but yeah. But uh, but yeah, I don't know what what anything else, any other big stuff that you've uh, been ruminating on for the week. Yeah, here's another thing you've completely. Uh, I think the technical term is shat upon my uh, my my whole account of the how nothing happens in the game. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, I um, I navigate to your vice piece, uh-huh. and you're talking about uh, these cool cats. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Deleuze and Guattari mm-hmm. and uh, talking about how the novella was organized not around the question of what will happen but instead what happened mm-hmm. so yeah you you agree with me nothing it happened sounds like you ripped so me a game off. About... <laughs> it sounds like you took exactly what I wrote and then filed the numbers off and then you criticized it so that's dialectics baby <laughs> woo <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I just pictured you in a uh, dressed as Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in all white. Uh, I, I've got uh, huge uh, like tassels coming off of my arms, and I'm uh, oh, yeah. doing finger guns in the air, uh, um, hooting and hollering about it. No, I, no, I mean I think that I, I I don't think I don't disagree with you that it is about reflecting on what happened i disagree mm-hmm. with the idea that nothing happens in 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 the plot of the game mm-hmm. until the end of it because we did all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff and sure. like all kinds of side quests happened mm-hmm. but th- those are predicated on what happened <laughs> that's true mm-hmm. yeah. don't try to fold mm-hmm. my idea into your bad idea <laughs> my idea is good your idea? That's dialectics, that, baby. That, exactly. That's in fact dialectics. Your idea? Bad. My idea? Excellent. Let's fold them together and let me win. <laughs> and I think we all agree that I'm the smart one. <laughs> I, I, th- I do think that there was a, there was a moment in um, A Mages and Murder Dads earlier where you uttered the phrase Imperial Core. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, just had, I just had to kind of turn to you, Sir, this is Mages and Murder Dads. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Wendy's. Uh, this isn't your other show where it's two PhDs talking for five hours. 
Uh, <laughs> what? Hold on. Let me, we don't talk for five hours. We talk for Ooh. three hours. <laughs> oh, no, you're right. What, uh... Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, That's all the, the it's a it's a fun game. I think that it makes you think. I think that you don't have to endorse every decision it makes mm-hmm. in order to like consume the piece of media. Mm-hmm. I do think that the game suits suits definitely a critical stance going towards it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the game is hyper defensive, if that makes sense. I do think that there's a way to like portray some of this stuff and uh and in, from a from a poise of like deep vulnerability and um, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I don't think I think that the game is inviting criticism as it plays. Yeah, it has play. it has an uh, an ambivalence about a lot of its positions, which is really interesting uh, based on how it gets talked about as a political game and obviously their kind of game awards thing of shouting out Karl Marx and all of that. Um, I. The, the the text itself without that context is I think a little bit more ambivalent about everything. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well I think that's it. I think that's what we got. That's it. What game's next? I don't know. Let's look at let's let's keep our eye on the ball as far as uh where where Baldur's Gate three is. I don't think that thing's not coming out this year, right? Oh god, that's twenty twenty three. Yeah, there's no way. There's no <laughs> way that's coming. So maybe maybe we'll look at Disco Elysium. Or not Disco Elysium. Maybe let's do it. Let's just do Disco Elysium <laughs> one more time. Easy. <laughs> just, just gonna we play opposite characters. No, no, no. I'll just review my footage and then we'll just talk about it again. Uh that's no, that see, in the early days of range touch, we could commit to a bit like that. Where we just did we it. We could commit to time. a bit of like a show where each season is just iterative. You're just looking at the same footage from the previous season. Or, oh, season eight of Mages and Murder Dads is us watching season seven of Mages and Murder Dads and talking about it. On one hand, very funny. <laughs> On the other hand, I would kick my own ass. <laughs> there is an episode of You Talking You Too to me, I think. The. Uh, uh, Earwolf podcast in which they listen to it's like episode 10 or something and they the episode is them listening to the first episode and then commenting on it mm-hmm. um instead of listening to like a U2 album so you know there's precedent in the world mm-hmm. um I don't know maybe Pillars of Eternity we need to look at how long that would take really yeah is Pillars of Eternity like a BG2 size game know. let's look let's look at how long to be. Yeah. let's look at how long to be mm-hmm that that helps you know to give us an idea uh pillars of eternity it's probably like 80 hours not 35 oh yeah it says main that... plus extra 61 i'm assuming that's with dlc or something yeah oh no the dlc is counted separately and that's uh an extra eight hours so mm. um so extra must be side quest yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah, main story mm-hmm. 35, main extra 61. I mean, I can probably get mm-hmm. that. So you probably, probably like, cut it in the middle and say it's like a 42-hour game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. I don't know if we're ready to dig right into that. We'll figure it out. I'm not. Yeah. I'm. I'm uh, I, this is going to, I don't know, probably stretch out into June or something as far as the posting <laughs> schedule is concerned. So... I uh, I think we got plenty of time. Okay, well that's the end of the episode. Uh, what's the famous catchphrase? Um, you you better watch out.
Is that it? Ciao.